0: Well, good evening. Uh, we are beginning a new year with a new series, uh, as you've been warned, uh, and they have been uh, inspired really by the words of Luke 24, specifically verse 27. And so this is where our reading is going to come from uh, just now. And so if you will, uh, turn with me to Luke 24 if you have a Bible with you. If not, uh, it will appear uh, behind. Of course, I may just be your preference anyway. So we're going to start with verse 13, and this is what it says. Then one of them, named Cleophas, answered him, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? And he said to him, Concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet mighty indeed, and word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel And he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Amen. Having read these words, I feel that I really need to start by asking a straightforward question. Why do we read the Bible? You see, it's really remarkably easy to forget the purpose of the book. It's easy to forget that in essence, for all intents and purposes, the Bible is a love story. In fact, i would go further. It's the greatest love story that has ever been told, and it is very easy and very common for us to begin to see that book in a different light. It's very common to see it as a book of rules, a list of things you can and cannot do, a pile of things where God simply says, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. It's interesting what happens to God when we read the Bible like that. You know, He becomes a monster. You know, waiting and hoping to punish you if you get anything wrong. Now, there are some laws in the text. There are some things in there that we should really still try and do today. But it is not a book of rules. Sometimes we forget that the Bible is a love story. Uh, Perhaps we simply look at it as a a book of advice. Um, A a book, a collection of of texts, wise sayings. uh, You know, they help us get on in life. A a sort of a a recipe for success. And there are a number of very wise people who say very clever things in that book. But the wise words, they get separated from God. The wise words become an end to themselves. These wise words are, are there to live a life that should be good and successful. And so we can live comfortable lives based on some of the things the Bible says and never know God. And so yes, there are some very clever things written in that book and yes, uh, there are some wonderful guidelines as to how to live in that book. But the Bible is not a book of advice. Sometimes we forget the book is a love story. Sometimes we think it's an entertaining compendium of stories filled with heroes, it's filled with villains, there's tales that are interesting, tales that are captivating, and there are some wonderful narratives in that book. But it's not there as a storybook, and it is not there for our amusement. The Bible is not about rules, it's not advice, it's not about the heroics of men. The Bible is first and foremost a love story. The story of the king who rescues the one he loves. It's a story of a king who who in order to rescue the one he loves, has to die. And so, when we pick up that book, when we open that book, when we look and read that book, uh, we find him. We discover more about him. And that is why we read it, though sometimes we might forget. That is why we read it, although sometimes we hear the words and we fail to see what it says about him. As we've just read, on the road to Emmaus, Jesus meets with two of his disciples, his followers. And on this journey, he opens up the scriptures so that they can see. That all that has happened, all the events that's left them so confused and so without hope, was actually written about in the Hebrew texts. And so Jesus goes back to the books of Moses and the prophets, and he shows them the things concerning himself. Now, as you know, I have a, a background in Old Testament lecturing. That's where I came from. Uh, and as I've shared with you, I think, I believe, uh, believe before, you know, I was amazed how many times uh, Christians would ask me, as a Christian, why do you do the Old Testament? Uh, why do you study the Hebrew text? Surely you should just focus on the New Testament. And there's a whole department for that. But my response was, I love Jesus Christ. And there are far more verses about him in the Old Testament than there are in the New And when you think about it, when you think of all the verses that predict his birth, his ministry, his death, his resurrection. When you think of all the texts that talk about what is yet to come concerning our resurrection. When you look at the moments where he comes and intervenes in the life of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. Breaks into the lives of of Hagar and Gideon and Manoah and his wife. When we consider the way he talks to Elijah when he talks to Moses face to face, when you recognize actually that every narrative, every law, every prophecy manages to reveal who he is to us, then we quickly realize that the Old Testament is bursting to the seams with our Lord Jesus Christ. So all of this really inspired the idea, uh, this notion, as it were, that we would do a series uh, looking backwards, as it were, in the evening. And a series, I think, would would be of great benefit to us. And I think verse 27 in our reading rather sums up the purpose of the series we're going to be doing from now uh, for the next wee while in the evening. Verse 27 said this, And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now, Uh, If I'm honest, I think it would take a lifetime, uh, and probably more, to go through every single instance where Scripture teaches us something about Christ. But nonetheless, I think we would benefit from at least looking at some of the examples. It's good to be reminded uh, of things that, that we may have forgotten, or things that we've known for a long time. Something of God revealed in every action, in every word in the text. Of course, perhaps we might be a bit more like those two followers of Christ who have read the text and not quite made the connection as to what it actually says about God himself. And so I do believe that this is worth doing. The better we grasp the text, the better we grasp who he is. Because the better we see him, and I think the better we become because of it. You see, ultimately, at the heart of why we are here, What it means to be a Christian is summed up in that. Christianity is not a religion of of, of rules or, or a religion of rituals or a religion of morals or a religion of teaching. It is about a person, a person we can know It's about God and knowing God. Christianity is about trusting that person when he says he loves us. When he says he can save us. As Christians, our lives are to be centered on him. With a desire to know him. And to meet with him. And to have him change us from deep within. To have him dwell in us. And so the Bible, well we read it because it reveals who he is. That's why I have such a sense of excitement when I open it up. That's why I'm quite obviously excited when I'm preaching. Because we get to see even just a glimpse of him. Because it becomes possible to love the one who first loved us. Now, when we're aware of this, when we know this, when we realize that Christianity isn't about meeting some rules, etc., when we know that the Bible doesn't give us a, a burden of impossible expectations, but instead reveals a person who loves us, then we can have a life that is lived, a joy that is experienced. We can go forward hand in hand with God through the best of times and the worst of times. We know that we're never alone. We never have to despair. We never have to manage just on our own strength. And so we open up the book and we open it up with wonder, with joy, because we may well catch a glimpse of the one we love, the one who sustains us, who never leaves us, and who one day we will meet face to face in glory. Now, Having said all that, you have to start somewhere. And so just as Jesus started with the books of Moses, over the next few months, we're going to focus on these five books because there is plenty just in there. Uh, the description of the books of Moses uh, refers to the books associated with his authorship, uh, though later it is very often described as the law. Uh, the first five books of the Bible were originally known by the Hebrew name Torah, uh, which uh, you'll hear me lapse into more often. Uh, Torah is is a wonderful word. Uh, It means more than law, as you'll expect. And indeed, for many Jewish groups, even to this day, uh, Torah more literally means God made flesh. There's a wonderful resonance about that. There's a real sense of wonder when we consider that. Because then we begin to realize that these books, these first five books, their purpose was always to reveal who he is, to present him to us. Uh, to support that, let me just uh, um, very briefly mention Psalm 19. Uh, in Psalm 19, it's called a Torah psalm. It's trying to kind of tell us really what the Torah is all about. And in Psalm 19, oh, I've got this wonderful verse to open up with—a really majestic verse. Uh, verse one says this: "The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork." I mean, wow! What a verse. Feel the the kind of majestic scope of a verse like that. And really, the whole of the first third of the book uh, really kind of follows the theme. We're told that creation essentially declares that there is a God. Uh, But if you look very closely, you'll notice that though it is incredible and though it is beautiful, the verse is somewhat distant. The heavens can only give a declaration about the glory of a God. They don't really tell you who he is. They don't reveal him as such. I mean, the word God, I mean, in English, that word is used in so many contexts. And actually, the Hebrew word El is a generic term. It was used by many of the nations. It just simply said that there is a mighty one out there somewhere who made all of this. And if the psalm ended at verse 6, if it ended just for that first third of saying, you know, creation says there is a God, good luck with that. It would be dreadful. It would be a terrible thing to know that there is a God, but we cannot know him. And that's why verse 7 is so wonderful. That's why verse 7 comes with a sense of relief with it. Because verse 7 says the Torah of Yahweh is complete, restoring life. The testimony of Yahweh is faithful, making wise from the simple. What a wonderful thing. See, into this verse what we have is not just simply El, some generic God. Into this verse we have the Torah of God, the first five books of the Bible, saying this is who he is. Here is Yahweh. It's his his name, his personal name is used here. It says that through this book, you don't just simply have to sit there knowing that there is a God, but through this book, through these, the, the books of Moses, you can know who he is. You can know his name. It speaks of a possible relationship because he is revealed in this text. And that's why the, 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 the psalm goes on. Um, you know, It t- talks about how this Torah is sweeter than honey, more precious than gold. Well, of course it is. Because it takes us from that place of there is a God, but that's it, to I know him and he is mine. Love that Psalm. The first five books were always intended to reveal God. Uh, You know, very often the Bible is described as the revelation of God. Um, But sometimes we just simply mean that God, you know, kind of sent it to us, it reveals some stuff. But it's actually the revelation of God. We see Him in this text. As a Christian, I think this has a real resonance, this idea of God made flesh in this text. Essentially, that's what Jesus also says in Matthew 5, verse 17. Uh, In Matthew 5, verse 17, he's talking about how he is the Torah made flesh. Um, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law, that is, uh, the Torah, or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. Um, More literally, the Greek word means I have come to embody them. Um, it's a wonderful kind of completion of a, kind of a circle. The one who inspired the text in the first place has come as the embodiment of his own words. And so when we read the text and we see who God is, we see what, what makes him tick. We see what he cares about. And then Jesus comes along and he's exactly the same. It's not a shock. It's not a surprise. He is the embodiment of the text because he was the one who inspired it. So that's why over the next few months we'll attempt to delve into that material, uh, seeing how Christ is revealed in that text. Uh, Hopefully, though, you'll notice that this is not something unusual. It's not as if we're doing something outlandish, you know, trying to find Christ in the Old Testament and specifically in the law, in the Torah. That's how it was always meant to be. You know, each line reveals something about God. Every time he speaks, he shows who he is. He shows what he cares about. Every time he acts, he shows who he is and what he cares about. Um, So when he demands that Israel looks after the vulnerable and the orphan and the widow and the refugee and the foreigner, it's not just because that's a good idea for a society. It's because this is who he is. So, uh, to show the case, let me just take some field laws and try and show you that these reveal the very nature of the God we serve. Trust me on this one. <laughs> Leviticus 19, uh, verses 9 to 10. This is uh, part of the field laws, the laws that were there to, to, to show how the nation was to sort of govern themselves when it came to their harvesting. So, verse 9 in chapter 19. When you reap the harvest of your land, you will not reap your harvest right up to the very edge. Neither will you gather the gleanings after your harvest. You will not strip your vineyard bare. Neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You will leave them for the poor and the, and, and the sojourner because I am Yahweh, your God. You're going to do this because this is who I am. Now, as the people of God, the farmers who had their fields were not supposed to harvest all the food. They were supposed to make sure that the poor and the stranger were provided for. But when we read this text, separate from God, when we read this text and we just simply see a rule, when we read this text and we fail to see that every single line is telling us something about God, then we just simply think, well, I don't have a field. <laughs> or, well, that's, that's a law, I don't need to worry about that. That's what people, a very long time ago. When we fail to see that these actions reflect God, When we feel to see that law after law after law was actually there to protect these people. Well, we reduce things to a checklist. You know, we have like a list of things, we tick them all off and then we're good before God. And it misses the point. The rules were never supposed to be a list that we could tick off and be self-satisfied before God. What we have here is far more precious. When God says this is how he wants his people to live, When he sees the marginalized and the oppressed, it's not enough for us to tick some boxes. To treat the Bible as if it was a, a book of rules. What this text does is it reveals the very nature of God. What this text does is God says to you, this is how I feel. Do you feel the same way? It's completely different. When we see God, when we see Christ in the text, it's completely different. Do we feel the same way? It's not about having a law, it's about having a guide to the very heart of God. Through the text, he shows us who he is. The one who never changes reveals himself, and as a consequence, he challenges us to be a people that reflect him, to reflect his shared passion, in a genuine relationship. you know Everything he says, like those texts that I just read there, and everything he does, back, them, back, back each other up. Uh, for example, um, when we read of Adam and Eve in, in the garden and everything's going great, and then they rebel against God, they decide, actually, God, we don't want you to be God. We're going to be the arbiters of, of, of good and evil. We're going to decide. We're going to set ourselves up as God. And everything is ruined. Everything is destroyed. What does he do? Well, the Hebrew very literally says, he dressed them tenderly like a parent with a small child. The text points to God in everything he says and everything he does. He comes to us and then what are we called to do in response? When we see this God, when we see Christ in the Old Testament, when we see him, what are we called to do? Well, the wonderful thing is we are called to love. <laughs> because when we see him, we see that that is at the core. Uh, the, the, the centerpiece of the whole of the Torah, the, the, the key verses that, that the whole thing is hinged upon. Uh, um, well, it's in Deuteronomy 6 when Jesus was asked what was the most important part of the Torah. He said this in uh, Matthew 22 verse 37. And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your mind. Quoting it. Now, Interestingly enough, when he quotes that, it's not like everyone goes, oh yeah, I'd forgotten about that. Uh, this is the Shema. This is, this is like the most important verse in the religion. <laughs> this is the verse that was recited every morning and every night. This is the verse that people would write out and stick it on their doors uh, or on their walls or write it on a scroll, fold it up and put it on their sleeve. Uh, This was the text that was said to every newborn child as soon as they were born. This was the text. And Jesus points to it. The Shema, in Hebrew, Shema just means, you know, listen, imbibe, let those words change you from inside. Listen, Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love Yahweh, your God of gods, with everything that makes you human, with every living breath, and to the end of your strength, is what the Hebrew says. Love him with everything. That's what we're called to do. That's the most important verse, according to Jesus, of the text that we're going to embark on. The whole point is the Torah lets us see God. It allows us to know who he is by so doing, we can know who we are. And we can know our part, which is to love. It says it's not about obeying. It's not about enough good deeds. It's not about doing enough so that I might love you at some point in the future. It's about I love you. I'm going to show you what love is. Now come and know me. Come and love me. Come walk with me. And each of us is a work in progress. None of us has quite got it right. (laughs) And so as people who do very often get it wrong, who fail to remember what the Bible is all about or who it is all about, as people who can sometimes separate out the rules from the person and simply try and follow them, as people who forget that love is what we're called to do, God, who is patient, continues with us. And says, Love. We witnessed a baptism this evening. And we heard a wonderful testimony. And we heard how a person who we hold dear discovered one day that it's not about following rules, it's not about rituals. It's not about trying to please God enough so we can somehow get into his good books. It's about someone who already loves us. Who has already called us. Who has already died for us. And who is already saying, Come and know me. Come and really live. Come. we go through life together. And so if we want to know him, if we want to be near him, if we want him to dwell in our lives, if we want to be the kind of people that have the throne of our hearts dedicated to him, if we want to know the presence of God in our lives, God in us and shining through us and into a broken world, well, you've already heard what it takes. Simply say Yes, to the one who offers you life. And if that is true of you tonight, if this strikes a chord in you tonight, either for, the, for the first time, or for many of you to renew that love that we're called to do, don't let that opportunity slide by. There's plenty of people you can talk to, not least the two men who are rather wet in there, Shazad herself, myself, or anyone around you, if you want to talk more on these things but do not let the chance slip from your fingers to know the one who loves you. Let us pray. Gracious Lord, we thank you that it is not up to us to somehow earn enough to get into your good books. We thank you instead that in order to be written into your book, to be written into the book of life, it is entirely down to what you have done. And Lord, it is just simply for us to say thank you to accept, and to be changed. Lord, forgive us when we forget that we are to see you in the text. Forget that it is up to us to love and to be changed by you. So Lord, let us be the people that walk with you, that know you, and love you, we pray. In Jesus' name. Amen.